it seemed to me that, well, if that's working for these 30 year olds, why wouldn't it work for me? Could I, could I now re looking at 50, could I really be in the best shape of my life? Could I really optimize my performance? And I'll just go ahead and, and jump right to the punchline here. I'm, like I said, I'm 59 years old. And right now today I am in 100% objectively the best shape of my life. I'm healthier, stronger, fitter, happier, more fulfilled than I've ever been in my entire life. Hello, and how is everyone doing today? I really appreciate y'all being here. I have a very special guest, and I just met this. Um, I just met, I was gonna say this gentleman, this guy, this friend of mine. I just made and met this guy a few months ago when I got the opportunity to be on his podcast, which is an amazing podcast, and we're gonna link to it in the end and talk about it. But first, I just want you to know that Sometimes it sounds like uh, we might be saying the same thing, but what I know is that if you hear the right thing from the right person at the right time, it will change everything in your life. So I am very excited to have a Kevin English here with us today. Let me tell you just a little bit about Kevin. Kevin English is a healthy aging expert and the visionary behind the Silver Edge podcast, which is an online fitness and nutrition business devoted to empowering individuals over 50 to sculpt lean, healthy, and capable bodies, which sounds maybe a little bit like a dream to some people, but we're going to keep on going because he is also rewriting the story of aging, where every individual is not just surviving, but thriving, turning the golden years into a time of renewal strength and boundless possibilities. I love it. <laughs> Kevin, thank yeah. you so much for being here. <laughs> Kelly, thanks for having me. Yeah, I'm excited to, to get to reconnect with you here. That's like the bio in the can, right? Tell yep. our listeners just a little bit about who you are, what you do, and like you're, you're vimming with passion and energy, right? If you're watching yes. us on YouTube, you'll see, you know, we both bounce around a whole bunch yep. and you're going to love it. So please tell us a little bit about how you got into this and what you do. Sure. So I'll start with how I got into this. So back in my, I'm 59, I'll be 60 in the spring. So somewhere in my mid forties, like a lot of people, I just lost track of myself, my health. I was lost in my work, um, busy with you know, my kids were at home then. And somehow my health had just crept up into this very, very horrible state. I ended up with a few days in the hospital. I thought I was having a heart attack. And I thought there was one thing like acutely, majorly wrong with me. Like I said, I, I thought I might be having a heart attack. And as it turns out, there wasn't any one major thing medically wrong with me, but there was a whole bunch of little things. I was overweight. I had prediabetes. I was hypertension. I had horrible blood pressure. My stress was through the roof. I was drinking daily to manage the stress. I was eating the standard American diet. I was sedentary. I just wasn't taking care of myself. And it was a wake up call. Like I said, I was in my mid forties. And as I looked around at my peer group, the local people, the guys that I hung out with, we were all kind of in that same boat. We weren't all that, maybe that extreme, but I didn't have really healthy role models in my forties. And as I kind of rolled into my fifties and there just didn't seem to be a, a very bright future, frankly. It just seemed to me that when I talked to somebody about where I was health-wise, it was just this very inevitable, well, that's just what happens when you get old. You know, it's all downhill from here, buddy. Your best days are way behind you. And I, I called BS on that at some point. Um, and I just, I just embarked on this 
on this mission at first just to be not sick. I just wanted to be not sick. Um, like I said, I, was, I had these really unhealthy behaviors. So I dove into the internet and I started, I found podcasts and I thought there, there's a ton of health and wellness podcasts, right? We're talking on right? now. And I found all these wonderful resources and it turns out that there are people who are thriving in their 40s, 50s, 60s, 70s and beyond. And I really wanted to be a part of that. So I got to where I was baseline not sick anymore. Okay. Can I interrupt? I'm going to interrupt. Absolutely. You. Bring it. Tell us what not sick means. Well, it means not being, <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> so for me, I was overweight. I was under muscled. I was your classic skinny fat. So yeah. if you looked at me dressed, I probably could pull it off if I was wearing a loose shirt and had a lot of torso fat, uh, but I still had fairly skinny arms and legs. Not a great look, right? Um, I was really, really stressed. Again, I was eating very poorly. I was sedentary. So as I started to clean up my diet a little bit, as I started to move a little bit, and for me, that you know, I was, well, you know, eat some more vegetables and go for a run. And that's where I started. And as I started to notice these changes in my health, I managed to cut way back on my drinking. I managed to reduce my, or at least manage my stress a little bit better now that I was aware that that was a, <laughs> a bad thing. And I just started to feel better and better and better. And so that when I say not sick, I'm talking about being not metabolically sick, not okay. being, you know, the, not the, pre-diabetic. Right, right. Exactly. Not a lot of extra fat. Just right. Yeah. So okay. Back to a okay. more normal body composition. And somewhere along the line there, I, I met these people like Ben Greenfield and these other super biohacking nerds that were talking about optimizing human performance. Now, you know, he's still a young guy. He was a much younger guy back then. But it seemed to me that, well, if that's working for these 30-year-olds, why wouldn't it work for me? Could I, could I now re looking at 50, could I really be in the best shape of my life? Could I really optimize my performance? And I'll just go ahead and, and jump right to the punchline here. I'm, like I said, I'm 59 years old. And right now today, I am in 100% objectively the best shape of my life. I'm healthier, stronger, fitter, happier, more fulfilled than I've ever been in my entire life. So that's what lights me up. That's my passion. And that's basically what I'm on a mission to do. That's what I'm called to do is just kind of share this message of championing healthy aging. Okay. So healthy aging and being in the best. So objectively, you're in the best shape of your life. And I would imagine that you're tracking it. So you've got the numbers to prove that too, because Correct. it's easy for us to say, oh yeah, I feel better than I ever have. Yeah. But your numbers are probably there too. You sleep, you sleep better, you've better muscle composition, 100%. your body fat's yes. lower. Yes. You literally lift more weights. Yes. So it's it's all, all those, those things. things. Yeah. It's all those yeah. things. Yeah. Yeah. Because it, sometimes it's hard to if you're at that stage where you aren't feeling great, you know, when, when you're not, what did you call it? Not sick. When you're not sick, but you're not well, right. um, you've got the aches and pains and muscles kind of slipping away. The fat's kind of, you know, coming up, coming Keep around on. on the belly. It'll do um, that. Yeah. Then how do you know? Like, is it just because people like us say, this will work or like, how do people know this will really work for them? Like, 
That's and, a great question. Yeah. Right? So, like, you know. Yeah. And when you say this, that's really the trick, right? What will work for you? Because I'm going to go out on a limb and say everybody out here listening to this has tried some health thing, some diet, some exercise, and maybe it's worked for a little while until it didn't work, right? So what do you try certainly is has a big impact on whether you have a temporary change or a permanent change. And I'd love to talk to you about the okay, mindset yeah. piece that goes just, along with whatever the framework is. I was going to say, you hit on it right there. Yeah. So, so what's the what's your framework that you suggest to people that they try so that you can go from not sick to thriving? What's Because you have some really specific- I do. Really specific pillars and you have some excellent ideas that I love. So tell us about it. All right. So I'll go as deep as you as you know me, right? I will go into the weeds with this. Feel free to just reel me back a little bit if I get too far. But let's just kind of start with just some basics. So I love these. I like to think of things in like a three-legged stool, for example. If you have all three, the stool is functional. If you only have two, it's not some not very good for sitting. And if you only have one, it's useless, right? And so one of my first rules of three is I like to look at fuel movement. And then basically we'll just use a, a bucket of lifestyle thing. And what I mean by that is let's just start with food. So there is so much you say, well, how do I know what to do, right? How do I know what to eat? And let's just make it really, really simple. So to start with, you should eat as much whole food as as is reasonably possible, right? I'm not saying switch and don't ever eat anything out of a package or a can, but as much as possible, start to swap out some of that processed food, especially that highly ultra processed food for real foods. As Americans, we on average eat 70% of our food comes from this processed and ultra processed food. Really? That's a staggering number. That's the average. So that means if you're above average, you're eating more than that. So if you think about a grocery store, that classic advice of shopping the aisles, that's typically where the real food is, right? You've got your produce over here. You've got your meats over here. You've got your eggs and your and maybe your dairy over here. And basically most of the stuff in the middle with a few exceptions, that's all ultra processed crap that you probably don't want to fuel yourself with for healthy aging and for performance. The other thing that I'll throw out here, and I don't, again, you let me know how far down the rabbit hole you want to go. <laughs> but when it comes to eating, especially for my over 50 crowd, protein is absolutely 100% vital. You've got to be getting your protein. We on this show, we recommend for active individuals, our recommendation is 0.7 to one gram of protein per pound of ideal body weight. Okay. So let's say so, you're a woman, you weigh 170, but you wish you weighed 100 and you know, your ideal body weight maybe is 150. You should probably aim for that 120 to 150 grams of protein a day. And that's a lot. Most people okay. aren't getting anywhere near that. Much. I was going to say, let's, let's talk about that for just a second, because I do say this a lot. You got to up your protein because it's something that I didn't do. Right. Mm -hmm. And I, I, I was very fortunate. My body was just the kind of body that could handle what I, the way I was eating until it couldn't. Mm -hmm. So I'm always telling people to up their protein. Tell us why. Yeah. So, I mean, we could get into some nitty gritty. There's amino acids. There's one in particular called leucine and our, our muscles ability to sense that decreases over time. But let's back away from that and let's just talk at, the, at a higher level that maybe sure. makes more sense to people. 
For one, protein is the most satiating of the macronutrients. So your macronutrients are proteins, fats, and carbs. And everybody probably knows when you eat a whole bunch of carbs, you're hungry again an hour later. You just are. When you eat a whole bunch of protein, you feel fuller longer. It is very satiating. Protein is also made up of amino acids. That is the building blocks of muscle. So when we get enough protein, we have the building blocks to actually build muscle. And we're going to talk about muscle here in a minute and its importance for longevity and for health. But so that's another reason you should eat a lot of protein. And then another reason that this kind of gets lost in the shuffle a little bit, your body is you're evolutionarily designed to be a fat storing machine. You just are. We are evolution of technology has happened so fast that our biology is not caught up. So for most of our existence as human beings, it was very biologically evolutionarily advantageous for us to store as much fat as possible for times of food scarcity, right? right? And of course, these days, fortunately, we don't have food scarcity. We, in fact, we have an overabundance of all of these hyper palatable, calorie dense, nutrient poor foods. And that's just a, that's a perfect disaster, right? But when we eat carbs, your body will take those carbs. That's your body's preferred form of fuel, right? It's can be made into fuel right away. Uh, your body breaks it down into glucose, which is just a type of sugar, and it can use it right away. Your body loves carbs. Then what happens is your liver will take any leftover and go, oh, goody, we'll just save this for a little later because we're going to need energy for later. And then your body, if you still have carbs left over after that, your body says, oh, goody, we'll just store this as fat. We'll make the, We'll store this as body fat. And that's a good thing if there's going to be food scarcity in your future. It's a bad thing if there's not. So that's that's why carbs kind of get the, a, a bad rap a little bit. I'm not at all anti-carb. I don't advocate, say, keto or low carb in particular. Uh, but it just people to know, to understand that if the majority of your food is coming from carbs, you're 100%, unless you're like an elite level athlete, you're going to, your body's going to shuttle excess into fat stores. Now, when you eat fat, a little different, you know, fats are broken down into lipids and lipids can, in fact, be stored as body fat, but protein only under very, very extreme conditions would your body ever take those amino acids and go through the mechanics necessary to store that as fat. Very, very difficult to store protein as fat. So there's a couple of reasons that people can kind of put their heads around why protein might make a a difference uh, and why you should consider prioritizing protein. Nice. Okay. That's so helpful. And I really appreciate it. So keep on going. You're giving us all the <laughs> All right. So, and we'll just, we'll leave that, we'll leave food alone, right? So okay. if all we, if we didn't do it, if we didn't count calories, we worry about how much we ate. If all we did was prioritize protein and switch to say 80% whole foods, 20% junk food, most of us would be much, much, much healthier right there. So that's our first pillar. Our second pillar then is going to be movement. And specifically, we, again, we were designed once upon a time there, I mean, a hundred years ago, there was no workouts. We didn't have really gyms because that's a silly thing. We would have worked out by working. Right. <laughs> um, again, technology is really amazing. It's allowed us to, I mean, my career is doing this. I sit in front of a laptop most of the day. Most of us had very sedentary lives. And so now we've invented working out as a way of keeping our bodies healthy. And there's a couple of things that we want to think about in movement. There's the cardio side and the strength side. 
And before I talk a little bit about both of those, uh, I want to back up a little bit and talk about, again, I don't want to go too far into the weeds, but it's important for people listening to understand that your body has basically two muscle types. It's type one, type two muscle. You may know that as slow twitch or fast twitch. And why that's important is because there is a term sarcopenia, which refers to age-related muscle loss. And when we say sarcopenia, and the stats are, I think, after age, starting at age 40, you'll likely lose 10% of your muscle mass each decade, which is alarming as you start to stack that. But as it turns out, once upon a time, we thought that that was age-related. We thought that as we got older, well, just that's what happens. That's the inevitability of aging. Turns out that's not the case at all. The reason we're losing muscle is because we're not using it. We're not using it in the same way we did uh, when we were younger, typically. And you're going back to that type 1, type 2 muscle, that that slow twitch muscle, that type 1 muscle is you don't really lose that so much. That's the muscle that we use walking around. That's that's the muscle that we use for long endurance. So if you think about a mar- an elite marathon runner, if you just Google elite marathon runner, those men and women are very, very lean. They have, they have very well-developed uh, slow twitch muscle. They don't really have any fast twitch muscle because the body doesn't need it. We develop that and maintain that fast twitch muscle by doing things like lifting weights. So strength training, resistance training. That's how we build that muscle. And again, why do, why do we care, right? Why this biology lesson on type one, type two muscle? It's because type one muscle, again, we're not going to lose that preferentially as we age. We're going to lose that um, type two muscle faster, but it's that, it's that type two muscle that's metabolically expensive, meaning it, your body has to cons- burn more calories just to keep that on your body while you're at rest, while you're eating food, while we're sitting here having a conversation. Even while you're sleeping, your caloric burn has to be higher just to maintain that. Therefore, your body will only keep as much of that metabolically expensive muscle on your body as it needs to in order to, to survive and do what it needs to do. That's why lifting weights or doing some type of strength training is so critical. It's critical for any age. It's absolutely vital for longevity and for my folks in the 50s, 60s, 70s, et cetera. And it's because we want to keep this metabolic fire. We don't want a little glowing ember of a metabolism. We want a roaring forest fire. And the one of the best ways we can do that is just to get strong. And the best way to get strong is a well, professionally designed, well thought out, professionally designed exercise strength program that has progressive overload built in, which just is a fancy way of saying every time you do an exercise, you do maybe one more rep or you add one more pound, right? You're sending this clear muscle building signal to the brain that's saying, oh, we have a need to build a little more of this metabolically expensive muscle, expensive muscle, and we need to maintain that. So a whole cascade of wonderful things happens there. First of all, your body starts to look better. When we have more muscle, we're burning more um, calories. So we're probably also losing a little bit of that um, that fat, but we're also uh, not just increasing our metabolism, but we're giving these, remember those carbs we were talking about? Muscle is a great glucose disposal site. Our insulin sensitivity improves. All of these wonderful things start to happen as we build muscle, not to mention we are creating a condition in our body that causes us to produce a more youthful hormone profile. 
So for us guys, more testosterone, more human growth hormone. For ladies, a better, also testosterone, important for you, for the ladies as well, but you get a better balance of that uh, progesterone and estrogen. So we're getting this more youthful hormone profile, which again is, is ideal for those of us that are aging and maybe missing some of that. Okay. Quick question about that. And what happens when somebody starts doing their weights, they're, they're lifting, they're progressing, and then they start injuring themselves. How do they stop that, that train that happens sometimes? Very, very common question. And I would say that if you're injuring yourself, lifting weights, you're doing it wrong. And you should, my advice would be to find a good qualified coach. Now that can be trickier. It can be easier said than done because not all coaches are good, but somebody who can check your form. There is, there is no more reason you should be getting injured, lifting weights than doing any other human movement, right? So what we're trying to do when we say strength training or lifting weights is we're, we're especially for our age group, we want to be doing functional movements. We want to be doing, we want to squat. We want to hinge, which is a type of deadlift, which just means I'm going to pick something up from the floor. We want to push. I push things away. I push things overhead. We want to pull. We want to rotate. We have all these different planes of movement that we want to, and all these, again, compound, very functional human movements that we want to reinforce and get stronger in. So the key there is a couple of things. One is that we talked about progressive overload. I want to add just a little bit more work every time I do that. And I want to have perfect form. So I, my advice to somebody who's who says, well, I'm not going to work out because every time I do, I get hurt is to back up. I mean, if you can afford a coach, get a coach. If you can afford an in-person coach, that's ideal. If not, at least get an online coach. Become a student of the movements. So become a student of the of the squat and the deadlift. They're two very, very primal, basic movements. And I hear this all the time. Well, especially from medical community, people over fifty shouldn't squat barbell back squat. I'm talking about people over fifty shouldn't deadlift. And I'm I'm thinking to myself, well, hang on. What you're really saying is that I should forfeit this capability of lifting something heavy from the ground. What do I do when my 40 pound grandkid wants me to pick them up and hug them? What do I do when there's a 50 pound bag of fertilizer on the ground? Do I go ask somebody to lift that up for me? I don't want to surrender that anytime soon. So yeah, that that's how I would answer that. There's no reason that people, old people, young people, any people should be getting injured if they're working out appropriately, if they're dosing appropriately, meaning starting where at weights they can manage and using good form. Yeah. Okay. Perfect. So keep going. All right. We did food. We did movement. So we did food movement. I need to get, I need to move this along a little bit, don't I? And then that third one we talked, I think we just said we're going to make a bucket. I call it recover, but we can just call it lifestyle integration. And really this is, um, this is managing. We talked about stress and how, how horrible stress can be for your body, for the inflammation, but while we may not be able to manage stress, we can manage our response to stress. So helping people understand uh, how things like gratitude practices and prayer and meditation and mindfulness can be really, really critical in their, not just their emotional and spiritual health, but their physical health as well. And then my favorite subject of all in this is sleep. 
the absolute criticality of getting that seven to eight hours of deep, healthy, restful sleep. It's like the tide in the bay. All the boats rise when the tide comes in. That's sleep. If there was a magic pill or a super secret hack, I'd even go so far as to say that sleep is the foundation of over 50 health. I've said that before. I'll, I stand by that. Sleep is that important. That's where all of your repair is happening. Remember, we talk about um, lifting weights and ingesting all this healthy food and we're interacting with people and making forming memories and new thoughts and all of that is solidified while we sleep. So all of this magic happens while we sleep. And I hear oftentimes, especially my type A go-getters, I don't need, I'm fine on five hours of sleep. You're surviving on five hours of sleep. You're not thriving. I mean, unless you're 0.0001% of the human population, you're, you're not, you're getting by, but things would be so much better if you were to really invest in healthy sleep. Yes. I, I've told people, I've gone so far as to say you can sleep yourself to health, but um, yeah, not everybody wants it. to yeah. hear that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> right. So, okay. In that bucket. Uh, so rest, sleep is one of them. What about, talk about just like rest for just a second and that resting piece after exercise, because it is really hard when someone gets started and they're doing a really good job of being very consistent with their fitness. There's this worry in the back of the head that's like, if I slow down, I might stop. And I'm uh, usually there yeah. saying, but but you really have to slow down certain yes, times do. so that yes. you can keep going. So talk about that for just a second. Yeah. So what you're what what you're referring to is what we as personal trainers call recovery, right? It's a critical, critical part of getting stronger and progressing. And here's what happens when you, when you work out, let's just use strength training. So we're, we go to the gym and we lift some weights. What we're doing is we're causing micro damage to our muscles. So we're actually tearing muscle cells, right? And we want to send a signal to the body to repair those. So there's a breakdown in a repair. And if you're not recovering, you'll break down and repair. And if you're really not recovering, you'll break down and only partially repair before you break down again and you're going backwards. That's when you're going to get hurt, by the way. But we don't want to be in a cycle of breakdown and repair and breakdown and repair. We want to break down, repair, and adapt. That adaptation is going to happen during sleep, and it's going to happen on those off days. So what we really recommend, and again, it's going to depend on a person's lifestyle, but when somebody says, well, how often do I need to work out six days a week? Should I work out every day of the week? We say absolutely not. Uh, for resistance training in particular, start with two to three days a week of weightlifting. And this should be a maybe a 40 minute, 40 to 60 minute session. Um, and it should be, again, it should be well thought out, professionally designed, uh, preferably. And that what you're doing is you're going to work out on that first day, you're going to have a day or two, and you're going to recover from that workout. Shouldn't work out so hard that you're really sore. It certainly shouldn't be sore two days later. That's a sign that you're overdoing things. You should just, you should feel better after your workouts, not worse. Okay, perfect. Yep. And okay, there's going to be because a lot of people that that are listening to this podcast are similar to me, what I call our cardio addicts. Mm. We love it. Yep. Right? Yep. So where does cardio come in so that it can be fun? It can be those things you would do. It's good for you, but it's not tearing your muscles down. Yeah, so that's a great question. So 
car- I like to say it like this. You could do cardio for health, right? And we want to, we want to dose it in a way that makes us healthier and, and not less healthy. So here's a couple of things. There's a few things that we need to pull apart in constant cardio. Just FYI. So I'd started my story in my forties crashing and burning, but in my thirties, I was a marathoner, a triathloner. I was doing all that endurance stuff. Uh, what happens is those of us that are kind of addicted to that, right? It, it, let's face it, <laughs> do that all the time. It, it does become a bit of an obsession. And there's a few things that happen. One is that is that is counter to building that. Remember, we talked about slow twitch and fast twitch muscle. You're not if you're a constant cardio addict, you're just not going to build type two muscle. You you can't right. Those are conflicting signals that you're sending our body when you're constantly pushing in that. Uh, whether that's that really intense, say my CrossFitters, my Orange Theory folks, um, at forty five people boot camp style training, or by you know those weekend warriors that are always out on their bikes or going for those long runs, things like that. That is a, that is a catabolic process for that muscle. That is you are tearing down that muscle because your body you you that's doesn't support that activity. So long endurance doesn't need that strong, uh, that type two muscle, that metabolically, ex- metabolically expensive muscle. So what I tell people is if you absolutely love that long endurance type stuff, have at it, but you might want to consider yourself an athlete. And I would say you are an athlete. And as such, you should have a season, you know, the NFL and then and no professional sport plays 12 months a year. And there's a reason for that. So have your season, let's just say marathon season, have your marathon season and structure your year like this. You have a preseason, you have your in-season, you have a postseason, you have an off-season. So what I would recommend is in that preseason, that's where you're getting back into maybe more of that muscular endurance and we're, we're building and getting ready. We should already be injury-proof. We should be strong. We should be ready for the season. In-season, all we're going to do is we're going to fuel and train for performance and for injury prevention, right? That we're just doing damage control in-season, frankly, is all we're doing. And we're fueling for that. And then in that postseason, we're going to take some time to recover. Remember, we said how important it is to recover. We're going to take some time off for running or greatly, greatly reduce that, uh, the volume. And then in the offseason, we're going to shift our focus. We're going to get strong. We're going to do maybe two days, three days of resistant trainer training. If you're a classic, say a runner or a biker or something like this, probably do a lot of unilateral work and make sure you're strong left to right. Uh, Top to bottom. If you're a runner, you probably have that, you know, uh, very uh, strong legs and probably not, probably a weaker upper body. But we're just going to try and make you bulletproof and strong before you roll into that next preseason. So if you set your year up like that, you have a much better chance of having a longer, healthier career as that, as that uh, endurance athlete. Now, if you're a little more recreational, I would just say do one to two days a week of strength training. You can't strength train three, four or five days a week and go out and pound the pavement five, six days a week. That just is a recipe for something's going to break. Okay. That's perfect. I love it. So, so, so it's either you treat it as a year season or you treat it during the week. Um, you know, you've got a couple of days of lifting, a couple of days of easy cardio, and then maybe, maybe a long or one or two days. That would be ideal. Yeah. Yeah. Awesome. Where we start people typically for cardio is just the class. And I used to poo poo this so much, but we encourage walking. 
you get a minimum of 7,000 steps a day, and look, if you get 2,000 steps a day, let's get 3,000. If you get 3,000, you know, let's build our way up there. But we start with walking and then we move into more, you know, for somebody who's deconditioned, into little more strenuous forms of cardio. Yeah. But we always want people to have that baseline of movement. And for most of us, the easiest way to do that is walking. Yeah. Yeah. You know, it is true. I, I did the same thing with walking. I'm like, really walking? Oh yeah. Um, that advice, you, know, yeah, you should park and, far and, away from the store. I'm like, that's the dumbest thing ever. Who's going to get ripped and jacked walking to the store <laughs> and you know where I park now when I go to the store and way out the edge. Yeah. There you go. You got to start. Get, yeah. So, get those extra steps. Right. It is too true. So, mm -hmm. okay. Um, I can't keep you here all day, even though I would like to tell me just a couple of things that, that you really want people to know. Um, before we start wrapping up, because you've got such a multitude of of health ideas that I just want some of those nuggets. Well, I would say for anybody who is interested in body composition, for most people, that's going to be weight loss. And let's face it, at our age, you've probably lost weight, gained weight, lost weight, gained weight, lost weight, gained weight. And, you know, the statistics are horrifying for recidivism and weight loss. It's like 97% of people who lose over 10 pounds will, in fact, gain all of it and probably a few bonus points upon this bonus pounds back in the future. It's really, really hard to maintain weight loss. So what I would say there is that the least important part of, let's just say, sustainable lifelong weight loss is the actual diet. The most important part of sustainable weight loss is what you do before a diet and what you do after a diet. So this takes a little bit of explaining to get your head around, but what we want to do is really we talked about the metabolism, things we can do to speed it up, right? We're going to eat whole foods, we're going to eat protein, we're going to strength train specifically to speed up that metabolism. What we want to do is take maybe two, three months and really work on our focus is not diet. In fact, we're, in, we're probably reverse dieting. We're probably eating in a small calorie uh, excess surplus while we're doing this. We want to get strong. We want to get healthy. We, we want to be in a place where we have the best chance of losing weight in a diet. If you just start today and you're uh, most of us over 50, 60, a lot of us are already chronically under eating. We're chronic dieters. That's a lousy place to start a, a diet from, but really to get strong, get healthy, go on your diet. Don't mess around four, six, eight weeks tops. And then what you do after your diet is absolutely critical. We see this is missed so often in, in diets. They just say, hey, eat less food. People do. They lose weight. And then they're like, hallelujah, that hellish uh, hellish ordeal is over. Now I go back to my life again. And we both right. know what happens, right? At, if at the end of that diet, you said, okay, my diet's not over. I have another six weeks of dieting. And what I'm going to do is very slowly and very methodically increase my calories week over week. That's called a reverse diet. And it's exactly what it sounds like. So let's say you dieted down to 1200 calories, which is pretty aggressive, but lots and lots of, especially ladies actually live their lives there. Maybe the next week you eat 1300 calories for that week. The next week you eat 1400 calories. The next week you eat 1500 calories. And now somebody might logically be thinking, well, wait, 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 wait. <laughs> when I just regain all that weight that I, I worked so hard to shed. And no, you won't. Not if you do this right. So if you're prioritizing the protein, if you are strength training, because remember now we're adding these, this, these calories back into our body. Where do we want those? Where do we want those calories to go? We want them to go to building muscle, right? 
we don't want them to go to fat storage. So if we gain, if we do this right, your, your weight gain will be very minimal. And the weight that you do gain will be from muscle and not from fat, which is a biologically good thing. And what will happen is at the end of this process, as opposed to you ending your diet, eating 1200 calories and then going, okay, thank God that's over. Give it another couple months. And now you end up eating 2,500 calories. And let's say you dieted and you hit 140 pounds and you end up eating close to a, you know, a thousand, 1300 calories more at the end of this diet. And you've gained three, four, five pounds even, but you've gained the majority of that is muscle. You are now in a place that you are much more likely to sustain that new leaner body composition. And I'll say this other thing, we're talking about weight loss, but really what we mean is fat loss. So I just posted, I don't know when this is going to, when this is going to, um, air. I expect it'll be a while, but I just posted a, a, a client win where she has, she's down six pounds, I think, but it only tells a tiny part of the story because this woman has in that same time that she's lost, lost six pounds of fat. She's gained at least six pounds of muscle. So do the math. She's lost considerable amount of her body composition looks completely different. She's lean, she's toned, she's muscular, she has more energy, her libido's up. She's got all of these things going. She's wearing clothes she hasn't worn in seven years, but the scale only moves six pounds. So that's another thing I would really, really encourage people is one, rethink your diet, rethink that process, come up with a plan, a pre-diet plan and a post-diet plan. Um, and then two, your scale's a liar. It's only telling a fraction of your, of your, it's not telling you very much at all about your health, frankly, but it's only telling a fraction of your actual weight loss. When we say weight loss, again, for especially those of us over 50, we want fat loss. We don't want weight loss. We want to lose fat and build muscle. So that's, those are a couple of things I would okay. like people to keep in mind that makes, for body composition. Let me just run through that really quick. Make sure that we've got it covered quite directly. Sure. So you're thinking we're probably talking about a six month period right now. And you start out with a couple of months where you are really focusing on muscle building more than anything. Then you yes. move into a couple of months where you're still doing the muscle building, but you're you're looking to start lowering those calories, getting into a bit of a deficit. Yep. But you're not going to stay there because that would nope. that would suck. Actually, nobody <laughs> it would wants be to no live there. Yeah, and it wouldn't <laughs> nope. be good for your body. Right. <laughs> so then. The last couple of months, now you're going to start adding that, those calories back in and trusting, trusting that your body really is doing what it's supposed to right. do, because yeah. otherwise it's going to be gulp. I can't take that, that worry that that's going to happen. And then you just right. stay in that place where you're right. A lot of people do. They stay there at that 12, 13, 1400 calories and it's no fun. It's a miserable it's, place it's to no live. no fun and yep. it's just not it's, good for us. It's also a metabolically unhealthy place to live as right. well. Yeah. Right. It's just yeah. like leaving us in that limb. It's limbo. Mm -hmm. um, and then, of course, we both know, I love to say it, the scale is this capricious devil that lives in your bathroom that you should never, <laughs> ever speak to again. Exactly. Right? Yeah. Yep. I mean, it is. I, I I don't even know why I own one, but I have but, one right now. And it's really like, I look at it. I never get on it. And I look at it. I'm like, why do you have that thing? It's bad. Yeah. Well, okay. you know, a lot of people step on that and their day is decided by whether that's exactly. they're up a pound or down a pound. It's, it's going to be a good day when I'm down a pound. It's going to be a crappy day if it's up a pound. That's exactly right. Bad so, yes, I love that. And I love the fact that really what you're talking about is it's a long game. 
100%. You're trading those fast results for lasting results, but you got to have the patience, got to have that that long-term view, have that longer framework in mind, but you're trading quick results for not only lasting results, but for improved health. Yeah. Yeah. How did the, uh, I keep, I keep going back to what you said at the beginning. I don't want to not be healthy. <laughs> yeah. And well, and a lot of people right. don't realize that because your baseline is your baseline, right? When yeah. I was very unhealthy, I didn't realize I was really unhealthy until, like I said, I had a pretty, pretty alarming health scare, but it didn't occur to me that I was very unhealthy because that was just my was the baseline health, right? That was it was your my baseline norm. health and it yeah. was what you saw when you looked around. Right. Yeah. Yeah. And, and lucky, lucky, lucky for everybody now, when you look around, you see people like you who are showing what baseline looks like at 50, 60, 70, instead of what we thought it should be when we right. were younger. So thank yep. you so much for all of this. And any any other things that you'd like to pass on before we wrap up and I give you back to your world? <laughs> No, I'll just, I mean, I'll leave you with this thought. And you and I've talked about this, I think on our, on, when you were on my show as well, but I would just encourage people to rail against that idea of it's all downhill from here. There is no reason why your fifties, sixties, seventies can't be your best decade. This can't be the, there's no reason why this shouldn't be the best time of your life. And our world gets smaller as we get sicker and frailer. And the exact opposite happens when we take responsibility for our health. Our world gets bigger and wider and more expansive and more beautiful when we take care of this sacred vessel for our soul, right? When we take care of our body. So I would really encourage people, and I suspect I may be preaching to the choir, I'm not sure about your audience, but if they're at all health conscious, they probably understand that. But they're the investment that you make in taking care of your body will pay off in huge dividends as you age and what what's you what you're capable of doing and how you can experience the world. Wow. I love that. I mean, chill bump kind of love. Thank you. Yeah, that was brilliant. And uh, how do you like people to reach you? Probably the best place is to go to Silver Edge Free. So that will take you to the page on my website where I have all my free guides. You can look there if there's anything that looks useful to you. We talk a little bit, you know, we talk about the framework, free diet, post diet. You could find information there. That's all. That's also my website. So you can poke around and look at podcast episodes and other stuff, but that's probably the, the place awesome. I would send folks. Yeah. And of course, we will put it all in the show notes. We will put it all on social media. We will share you to, <laughs> you know, the ethers because I really love everything you're doing. And thank you so very, very much for being here. Kelly, thanks so much for having me. It was an absolute pleasure to reconnect. You too. Hey there. It sounds like we just wrapped up, but we haven't. There is an extra special goodie for you at the very end. So hang on for the next couple of minutes while I just give you a quick notification about something cool coming up and then grab the final notice. I met the coolest woman recently on one of the free fitness strategy calls. She said she'd been on my newsletter for almost a year and had never booked a strategy call despite clicking on the quote unquote, book a strategy call link like a million times. That was her words, not mine. When we finished talking though, she told me how incredibly relieved she felt. She now had a direction and the know-how she'd been missing. You know what? That made my day. I love doing these calls. Most weeks, 
I can leave space on my calendar for about five free 20-minute strategy calls. If you grab one of those spots, like my new friend did, you'll finish that call with clarity on how to change your health and your fitness. Sometimes new clients come from these calls, sometimes new friends come from these calls, and sometimes one call is the breakthrough that somebody needs. So why not try doing something different this year? To get a complimentary strategy session, go to fitisfreedom.com slash plan. Once again, fitisfreedom.com slash plan. I can't wait to meet you. So something special I want to do this new year is give you action items on the podcast that we just talked about, because I know how it is. Sometimes you just listen to a podcast and you think, oh, that's such a good idea. And then it kind of, you know, fades away, (laughs) pod fading as we call it. So after this interview with Kevin, I came up with a couple of questions that I'd like to throw out to you. The first one, and obviously if you're driving, maybe you can talk into your um, recorder or if um, if you have a pen and paper, grab it. So the first question, who are your healthy role models? Something interesting last year in our Fit is Freedom group, we actually did like homework on this because somebody said in the group, well, I don't have anybody like my mother died young. I don't have all my friends are you know not as fit as they should be. I don't have any good healthy role models. So what we did was we all went out on the internet and started looking for examples of women between about 50 and 100 who were just like rocking it. And we found some amazing women, women who were bodybuilders, women who were runners, women who were doing everything, just doing everything, entertainers, all of these amazing women. So go out and find just a couple of healthy role models so that you can answer that question. Can things change now? The next question is, where can you apply Kevin's rule of three? So remember, Kevin's rule of three is fuel, movement, and lifestyle. So you can take just one of these and think of one thing that you can apply to it. Or if you want to get like wild, take all three and come up with something very simple, small, right? Start small, start easy. And one thing that you can change in each of these areas of life for you to see how you can apply the rule of three. So remember, that's your fuel, food, obviously, movement, and your lifestyle. And lastly, how can you apply seasons to your fitness training? Now. If you don't have a fitness training plan yet, then obviously that little notice that I just made was for you. Just go to www.fitisfreedom.com slash plan, and let's make a little fitness plan for you. Something simple, doable, and a place to start. But if you're already doing your own thing, why not look at where can I put seasons in this? And seasons are good for two reasons. One reason is that it gives your body a break. It lets your body mix things up. It gives your body rest at times and it gives you an opportunity to push at times. The other thing it is, and this is for your brain, is that if you have a plan and you look at it and all of a sudden that thought comes in your mind, which is, oh, wow, this is it. I've got to do this for the rest of my life. (laughs) This is what it looks like. Your brain can get kind of bored, quite frankly. So when you add a season to it, you mix things up. So Try those three things, find some healthy role models, apply a couple of Kevin's rule of three, and see if there's a way that you can add seasons to your training plan and 
jump on my calendar if you'd like me to give you a hand. Thank you so much for being here. Thank you again so much for listening today. I truly appreciate the opportunity to connect. If you're ready to incorporate fitness consistency into your life, I'd love to help. I have a special gift for you. If it's a struggle to stay consistent with your fitness and you're ready for all the energy, vitality, and feeling great you can have, go to my website, fitisfreedom.com, and on the homepage, you can get a free copy of my Consistency is Key Masterclass, plus a fitness plan you can follow along with, guaranteed to get you started on your path to being fit and free forever.